the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 231 for October 31st, 2010. Three G data comes to Mount Everest. Iden may be one step closer to the end of its life, and a review of Palooza. My name is Mickey Papillon, and I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to the Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application for the iOS, available now in the iTunes Store for one dollar and ninety nine cents. Well, happy Halloween, everybody. Hopefully you've had a safe and enjoyable day. But before we hit the, into some reviews here, I wanted to bring up a poll that ran on the site this last week. For the past six months or so, I've been posting the latest news, devices, and software to the site each day, in addition to product reviews and, of course, the weekly podcasts. And while not my full-time job, there are many days when it feels like it is. The amount of news that comes out of the cellular industry is really, truly staggering. So as the site traffic has increased, I kind of did some analysis this week, and I found it's really attributed to a couple of things. Number one, the reviews, and number two, the podcast. So I wanted to get the feedback for those that actually use the site on a daily basis. If you haven't done so already, head over to thecellphonejunkie.com, search for poll, and then be sure to let us know how you use the Cell Phone Junkie. We appreciate your honest feedback, and it's going to help us to make the site better and more useful to you. So this week, we have six product reviews. This has been my life this week. I've been doing product reviews since the last show. Uh, So let's start with the BlackBerry Style. It was released today for Sprint uh, for $100. And, you know, in mid-2008, RIM released the BlackBerry Pro Flip. That was the first Flip BlackBerry, but it had a SureType keypad. The BlackBerry Style 9670, though, has a strong consumer focus and the full uh, first full QWERTY keyboard in a clamshell to come out from RIM. It's got BlackBerry OS 6, previously only available on the Torch. It does a lot of things well. It's got kind of a cool retro design with the clamshell, uh, and it also has a very solid feel. It's a great choice for consumers or someone looking for the full functionality of a BlackBerry who wants a, a design that's a little bit less conservative. Flat keys and poor spacing, though, make for a mediocre keyboard, but I think most consumers can overlook it and uh, you know jump in at that $100 price point. So I've had this one for the last few days. Joey actually just picked one up today. New phone for Joey. That's always very exciting. So, Joey, I know you've only had it now for a few hours, but uh, I'd love to get your, your feedback on it and what you think of it just initially. Yeah, you know, honestly, Mickey, yes, the keyboard is definitely not the is not up to the uh, the bold standard, but it, um, it it's very good. I like it a lot better than the Curve keyboard, even though I, I know what you're saying, where it's easier to hit more keys at one time because it is so flat. But part of that flatness comes from having to make do with the 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 clamshell form factor, just like with the torch as well, with that slider form factor. So. Um, you know that you know sometimes things do have to give, but um, I am just uh, really really happy with the size and the the feel of it in your hand because everything's rounded. It's it's a nice uh, nice smooth device, and uh, I just couldn't be happier to finally see a clamshell smartphone in my hand uh, now for the first time in uh, how many years since uh, since what October of '07 when I gave up the the i500 the the Palm. OS uh, phone that Samsung had out on Sprint. So this is very, I'm very happy that it worked out where Sprint picked up this phone first. I think this has got to be one of the best looking phones that, that RIM has ever created. It is, and I think in the review I said that it was a brushed metal and Joey pointed out that it's actually kind of a, a chrome colored polished plastic or something that's it's on just it. Cro- yeah, it's just chrome pla- painted plastic. It's just, you know, chrome paint. But the overall feel is is so solid. It And he said the the, the 
the corners are rounded. It's very smooth. It almost reminds me of the Palm Pre. If you've seen that, it's got a minimalistic design to it. It just it feels um, very almost futuristic. I mean, just in the it's it's very smooth. It's very comfortable to hold. Web browsing is fantastic, even without a touchscreen on it. It's got the new WebKit browser, and you can use the trackpad, and and it just it fits very nicely in your hand when you're sitting there using the trackpad to scroll around and browse through you know different web pages. And um, I, I'm such a I, I'll just say I'm a keyboard snob. I I love the Bold's keyboards. I think that they are the the gold standard for you know physical core. And so because the keys are so much flatter, in fact, I got some profile shots of it in the review that you can you can see. I mean, they are they're almost um, concave a little bit in the other direction because they have to be so flat. It makes sense, though, when you think about you've got a, a flip you know cover flip top that has to come down and land on those keys. And of course, they can't have raised up keys or you're going to have indentations of all of those on the screen itself. And so they, they got to make sure that that's that design fits in there. But um, over overall, though, I, I was really I was impressed. I mean, I thought they did a much better job with this one than they did with the Pearl Flip. I think that Sprint was a good choice to come out with this one first, and and it, it makes for a good option for the consumer. And at a hundred bucks, if you're not someone who needs the you know the global roaming capabilities of the Bold, if you're not someone who necessarily cares about having um, you know doesn't care that much about the way that the keys are designed, and you don't want to have to have a holster or some sort of pocket sleeve to use all the time. And I know Joey, that was one of your biggest things was being able to just close it up, throw it in your pocket, and be good. Yeah, because I I keep phones in my pocket exclu- exclusively. If now if I was a BlackBerry user that had a the the you know a waist holster on that that would be uh perfectly fine with me to to keep the the bold in there all the time but i keep it in my pocket so i you know ordered a uh it was actually kind of difficult to find exactly which model to get but i i found a a a pocket sleeve that's got the you know the sensor in it for the the bold to keep in my pocket all the time but it's one more step and it's one more thing to drop and lose constantly and it just uh it just makes it for not as pleasurable of a using experience for me at least coming from the the likes of the central where it had a better auto lock mechanism and of course, just you know the clamshell phones of the past. Well, like I said, it comes out today. It's a hundred bucks. If you're a Sprint Premier customer, maybe you've already done your pre-order and you've maybe already got it. You picked it up from the store. If not, pop into Sprint and I, you, they, I'm sure will have them. Did you see a lot they're of people there. in there buying yep. it? Actually, there? there was a few people around me buying them. So um, they, they're definitely uh, they, they were definitely going out the door. It's not like this was the first one they sold today. So it was uh, uh, pretty interesting. And uh, they didn't have the charging pods available for them. This phone also features the the little connectors on the edges where you can. Uh, set it into to a pod and have the external screen act as your alarm clock where you can where it stays kind of lit uh, dimly overnight uh, if you set it as such um, so i'm really happy that it has those uh, that feature as well because i really uh, grew to like that with the bold well I, i'm sure they'll have a lot of accessories out for it especially if it takes off so make some calls if you want to go pick one up and see if your local sprint store has got them in stock. Well, for those that follow Sony Ericsson closely, you'll know that the Xperia line of devices will be getting their upgrade to the Android 2.1 operating system here starting today. Uh, though the X10 had been a fairly ex- elusive smartphone to get your hands on. It was first leaked out in the winter of 2009, and I had some few uh, some hands-on time with it for a few minutes at a press event at the CES 2010. Um, at that time, though, the Nexus 1 had just been released, and the Android spec race was really starting to take off. The X10 had top-of-the-line specs with a 1 gigahertz processor, 4-inch WVGA screen, an 8.1 megapixel camera, and the 7.2 megabits HSDPA. 
But all of that, it still ran Donut, which was Android 1.6. Eight months later, uh, which would be August of 2010, it gets released on AT&T, but it still had the same specs, Android 1.6, and nothing else had changed with it. Though I got some hands-on uh, time with it. I did a full review. You can read about that. It's available from AT&T for $150 with a two-year contract. And like I said, just starting today, the Android 2.1 update is coming out to it. Kind of uh, some quirkiness with the phone itself. The camera is good. I wouldn't say it's the best I've ever used, but it's good at 8.1 megapixels. It has the Mediascape and Timescape uh, user interface on it. So it's not a vanilla Android feel to it. You've got to jump into these two different proprietary UIs that Sony has put on it. But overall, it's a nice looking phone. And, and I had a lot of fun playing around with that one. Next, the YX ZBoost Metro. This is known as the ZBoost YX540. Last year, we reviewed the YX510 and thought it was a little expensive at $400, but it worked as expected. The Metro builds on the success of the YX510, slimmed down the design and lowers the price. It's available for $300 in a much more consumer-friendly design. We've also got the Dexim Super Juice Power Case for the iPhone 4. We took a look at that one this week, and with its 2,000 milliamp hour battery, it'll extend your talk time to up to 6 hours, uh, 10 hours for video playback, and 40 hours for music. It can charge and sync with a micro USB cable, and it will be available coming soon to Amazon for $60. Then we've got the Dexim P-Flip Foldable Solar Power for iPhone. This is a similar design uh, in that that it charges via solar power of the Monaco that we reviewed a few weeks ago. The P-Flip Solar, though, is uh, a flip-style design, so it allows you to either have FaceTime conversations or watch videos while you're charging up your phone. This is one of the the great things about the uh, P-Flip Solar. series. This one is currently available from Dexim. You can pick it up for $80. And then finally, the Wilson Sleek. This was a uh, an in-vehicle signal boosting solution, and it's a very easy uh, product to install. It's got a dash-mounted uh, holder or cradle that you put the phone into, and then you run your wire out for the power, and then one out for the antenna that goes on top of the vehicle. It uses the same technology as all of Wilson's larger products, but drops the price dramatically. It's available on Amazon for under a hundred dollars and so a very economical solution and it's effective so i did some testing with this one and specifically using it on both my iphone and also the blackberry bold which is running on the sprint network and with the iphone i use that exclusively in the car for streaming of music i listen to slacker all the time when i'm on the go and uh this really makes the experience uh takes it to the next level it your your signal strength is basically as best as it can possibly be in your car from this little cradle uh, that that amplifies the signal uh, that uh, you know coming from the towers into the device. It one of the you, you talk about uh, bars a lot and you look at that and you look at the signal strength, but really is what it comes down to is the experience. So when I was using it for streaming of music, the one metric that I can gauge it by is how fast it can change songs. Because when you're streaming music through a service like Slack or Pandora, oftentimes you come across songs you don't like, you hit the next button, and it has to start downloading the next song in in the list. And that can sometimes take time. Uh, This product, the Sleek, really gave me um, kind of freedom from having to press that button and wait, um, especially in areas where I didn't have as strong of signal when I was traveling. It, it was, you know, five bars the whole time. And that meant that changing tracks was only about a two to three second process versus, you know, the four to five second, which over the course of a drive that can add up. 
Also, I was able to test this one in an underground parking garage, which I drive into every day. It's a place that I park every single day, and I never have service in there with any of my phones. I noticed with the Verizon uh, device and also with the Sprint 9650, which then roams on Verizon, that this boosts the 850 megahertz band signals amazingly well. I would drive down into the garage. In fact, I did this where I drove down and the I did a phone call test. The phone stayed on and stayed connected through the entire drive down two levels underground as far down in this this garage as I could get. This is an area I've never had service before. Phones never work. I did some testing with it on the 1900 megahertz on AT&T and that's that's a lost cause. It can't figure it can't get that one, you know, to to be enhanced in an underground concrete parking structure. But 850 worked really well. And one thing it did, it, it solidified for me just the, the major difference that we have between the 800 and 1900 megahertz bands. And, and really, you know, we, we say, well, you know, sometimes, you know, phones will, it depends on where you are in towers and stuff like that. Here's the deal. If you are in a building or you're in a structure that's made of, of some, you know, high density materials like concrete, 850 is the way to go. This totally proved it to me that I'm two levels underground. And yes, I'm using a signal boosting solution, but that is the only signal that it would boost was the 850 megahertz band. And overall, like I said, for an economical and effective solution, the Wilson Sleek, it, it, it was very impressive to me. I don't say that, you know, a lot about products. No, because you know it's kind of hard to judge because yes, like you said, there's so much cell coverage everywhere. You you kind of hardly in an area without it. But when you've got a clear you know test point where you can really figure out whether or not uh, that it's actually doing something for you, it's it's very neat to see that. Yeah, and it worked uh, very well, very easy. Uh, it's a universal mount. It comes with a number of different clips so that you can clip in different devices. There's nothing to plug into your phone. There's just a, a pad on the back of, of the cradle itself that amplifies the signal. It's a very, very uh, low power and low, uh, lo- low area amplification system. It's not like you can have a bunch of phones next to it and it's going to work. You have to have it in the cradle. As soon as you pull it out, the, the, the signal strength drops way down and you know, will essentially go away if you're in a, in a bad area that you're... Uh, where you didn't have service before, like a garage. So, um, so it has to be in the cradle. But you know what? If you've got a Bluetooth, uh, Bluetooth connectivity in your car, it makes it really, really simple. I, of course, use a uh, an audio cable, auxiliary three and a half millimeter cable to plug into the iPhone. So I just had that plugged into it, popped in the cradle, and I was off and running. There is a an office and in vehicle accessory pack that you can buy as well. Gives you a suction cup mount, and that's what I'm using. So I've got it mounted to the windshield of my car uh, versus actually using an adhesive type of uh, mount to put it right on the dash. So uh, overall, though, very good. I'm very impressed with it. All six of these products have full reviews up over at the site. Head over to thecellphonejunkie.com to read all about them. Jumping into the news, finally, 15 minutes later. According to the IDC, worldwide quarterly mobile phone market growth was nearly 15% in the third quarter of 2010. That's the fourth consecutive quarter of double-digit growth. Phone vendors shipped over 340 million units in the quarter, compared to the 297 million in the year-ago period. And for the first time, Apple joined the top five largest vendors, making the list at number four just ahead of RIM. The 14.1 million devices sold in the third quarter gave them a 4.1% of the overall world market. So running down the top five in first place was Nokia. They topped the list with 110 million units shipped over the quarter. That comprised nearly one-third of all phones sold on the planet and was up 2% versus the year before. Samsung came in with 71.4 million units. Uh, This has the Korean maker selling over one-fifth of the phones in the world, up almost 20% over last year. 
LG was third with 28.4 million units at 8% of the market. They fell 10, 10% from the uh, third quarter of 2009. Like I said, Apple at number four with its 14.1 million units and 4% of the market. That was a 90% increase over last year. And at number five, RIM with 12.4 million units, 3.6% of the market, and they were up 45%. All the other manufacturers made up just over 100 million units shipped, and that was 30% of the units sold around the world. Microsoft reported Thursday its financial results for the first fiscal quarter of 2011. Revenue for the period hit $16.2 billion, which was a 25% increase from the same period the prior year. Net income topped $5.4 billion, which was a 55% increase compared with the first quarter of last year. According to Microsoft's CFO, this was an exceptional quarter, combining solid enterprise growth and continued strong customer demand for Office 2010, Windows 7, and Xbox 360 consoles and games. Our ability to grow revenue while continuing to control costs allowed us to deliver another quarter of year-over-year margin expansion. The phone division was not mentioned in the release, though Windows Phone 7 has already launched in Europe and will be launching this week in the U.S. Motorola Thursday released its quarterly earnings, presenting the first growth quarter since Q4 of 2006. Sales totaled nearly $5 billion, up 13% from the year-ago quarter. Operating earnings were only $3 million, but device sales were strong. The quarter saw 9.1 million handsets shipped, including 3.8 million smartphones. Sales in the mobile division hit $2 billion. HTC reported on Friday fourth quarter earnings and device shipments. Revenue for the quarter topped $3.3 billion, and uh, handset shipments came in just shy of 10 million units. The company reported 25 million devices sold in the 2010 fiscal year. This is more than double the number of devices it sold last year. South Korea's Samsung reported its quarterly profits on Friday, recording $4 billion in sales and up 17% over last year. Total revenue topped $35 billion, and the handset sales uh, were up 15% from the same quarter last year. Over the period, 71.4 million phones were shipped, including four, excuse me, 7 million Galaxy S devices. The company expects demand to continue in the high-end Android market, but expects, expects competition to grow in the emerging markets. Well, over three years ago, we told you how China Mobile was bringing cellular service to portions of Mount Everest. The tower was linked via satellite, so latency was an issue, and data speeds were sluggish. Now Nepal's NCEL has announced that a 3G base station has been installed at base camp at just over 17,000 feet up the mountain. NCEL is a joint venture with investors and Sweden's Telia Sanera. The company was working to extend coverage over the next year and will cover 90% of Nepal's population. While well, AT&T may have, had an, or may have an upgradable USB stick to LTE in the device lineup, a spokesperson for the company says that it will not be able to roam on the LTE network that is slated to be released from Verizon later this year. Jenny Bridges of AT&T confirmed that the companies are planning to build networks on similar 700 megahertz spectrum, though Verizon will be using the C block, considered class 13, and AT&T will be using the A and B blocks, considered class 17. Currently, the LG Adrenaline hardware from AT&T is LTE upgradable, but this will be solely for the use of AT&T's Spectrum. Further, there will be no roaming agreements in place between the two carriers, which isn't a surprise considering the immature nature of the technology here in the U.S. In a press conference on Wednesday, Verizon detailed the deployment of its LTE network in areas of West Virginia. The state will be the first in the country to receive the new network, with a large portion of Charleston rolled out by the end of the year. Verizon will expand to Huntington, Parkers- Parkersburg, Wheeling, Wheaton, 
Berkeley, Clarksburg, Morgantown, Fairmont, and Martinsburg by the end of 2013. No launch date was released. In a press release Thursday, the FCC announced a decree that Verizon Wireless will pay the U.S. Treasury $25 million for mysterious fees the company had charged consumers over the past few years. The payment is the largest in FCC history and is the culmination of a 10-month investigation. In addition, Verizon will immediately refund $52.8 million to 15 million customers that were charged fees. As discussed last month, month, the mystery fees include unauthorized data transfers, accessing certain web links that were designated as free-of-charge sites, unaccessible attempts to access data, and unwanted data transfers initiated by third parties and affecting customers who had content filters installed on their phones. Verizon responded with a release of their own, saying that Verizon Wireless works very hard to simplify the wireless experience for customers and to ensure that customer bills are accurate. Nonetheless, internal billing processes can be complex, and in this case, we made inadvertent billing mistakes. We accept responsibility for these errors and apologize to our customers who received accidental charges. We are issuing credits and refunds on our own initiative and because it's the right thing to do for our customers. Fixing this for them has been our aim since last year, as we publicly stated at that time. In September of 2009, months before the FCC first contacted us, we implemented a free 50 kilobyte allowance to limit further inadvertent charges, which I think is the absolute way to go. That's that's the key to this whole thing is to make sure that there there's that little buffer there. So if you're accidentally logging on to your phone uh, to the web browser and you don't mean to, there's going to be that 50 kilobyte buffer. And so you won't get charged uh, mysteriously on your bill. Yeah, that was really, I mean, that was a really pretty scammy, pretty shady of them to to have this activated on phones where uh, it should just disable the data connections, uh, even though it's nice as you're a casual user to be able to pay as you go as far as the data goes. But to have these little hits that start adding up to be fairly big fees, that's just, come on, it's not, uh, it, it's such a pain and it's really pretty, pretty poor business practices. And I, I even know we heard complaints from people saying that, you know, I was charged and they wouldn't take it off and they said I was doing things and, and it's just a, a good way to frustrate uh, consumers. And it looks like they, they got their uh, hand slapped for doing that. And that's, that's pretty appropriate. Yes, a $52.8 million hand slap to be uh, exact. 15 million customers, like they said, will be refunded the fees that they were charged. Engadget posted information Thursday evening of a rumored new unlimited plan for the Verizon network. The concept is similar to that of Sprint's Any Mobile Anytime plans that allow for unlimited calling and test, uh, testing to any texting, excuse me, to any cell phone in the U.S., along with a set number of anytime minutes for other calls. The plans are being tested in select markets in Oklahoma, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. Pricing starts at $60 and goes up to $130, depending on uh, whether or not you're using an individual or family plan. And as we posted last week, Verizon has made the change to tiered pricing for data plans effective on Friday. Plans for 3G customers now have two tiers. $15 per month will get you 150 megabytes of data with an additional $15 for each another 150 megs of uh, that you go over that. And then $30 a month for unlimited data on your smartphone. Mobile broadband and 3G tablets will have four new plans. For 10 gigabytes a month, it'll cost you $80. Five gigs will cost you 50. Three gigs will cost you 35. And one gig will be $20. Overages for these plans are $10 per gigabyte with the exception of that $20 plan, which is $20 per gig. 
Serving low-income households, Sprint's Assurance Wireless announced Monday new voice plan add-ons. The free base plans include 250 minutes with additional minutes and all text messages for $0.10 each. For $5 per month, users can bring the total number of minutes up to 500. And for $20 per month, you can now get 1,000 minutes and 1,000 text messages. You can visit assurancewireless.com for plan availability and qualifications. Sprint on Wednesday posted its Q3 earnings, reporting an increase in subscribers, but a loss in revenue. Reporting the second best quarter in the company's history, Sprint added 644,000 uh, 644, new uh, customers and had a churn rate drop of to 1.93%. Net operating income topped $8 billion, though income fell with a net loss of $911 million. After many quarters of subscriber losses, this is the fourth consecutive quarter of positive net postpaid subscriber growth. Wireless postpaid ARPU of approximately $55 for the quarter declined year-over-year from 56 but remained flat uh, sequentially. The year-over-year decline is due to lower overages casual data on casual data and text revenues, offset by higher monthly reoccurring revenue and as a result of the greater popularity of the fixed-rate bundle plans. In an interview with Fierce Wireless on Wednesday before the Sprint earning call, company CEO Dan Hesse said that it would eventually be shutting down the IDEN network it had acquired in 2004. According to Hesse, over time, we'll have fewer and fewer customers on the IDEN network. That allows us to use some of that capacity on the network that is freed up and use it for CDMA. It's a gradual process. There will be an end date for all 2G, just like there was an end date for 1G. The head executive did not give dates for the network sunset and said that they are spending less money and focus on attracting new customers to the IDEN network. As customers go on to the CDMA network rather than IDEN, it will free up some of the channels to put CDMA services onto Sprint's 800 megahertz IDEN spectrum. Now they say that they're spending less money and focus attracting new customers, but what about Boost Mobile? Joey, I look at them as a kind of a... It's not their postpaid network, but yet they're still trying to, you know, boost sales and get people to join the prepaid, which is running on that spectrum. You know, it's such a strange and not all their phones are because I know they have a BlackBerry that runs on the regular Sprint uh, CDMA and eVideo network on Boost. So I don't know if they're starting to kind of uh, slip more of those in on the Boost network um because you know their ads don't really seem to be uh, i have well i haven't seen that many recently but they don't seem to be focusing on the push to talk like they were for quite some time so they've probably moved that focus away i would imagine but i don't know they're so confusing they just they, they've been saying this for years that they're going to get rid of iden and just either make the plan and start doing it or just keep it going it's just, this this waffling is probably really frustrating because if you've heard these stories and you're a purchasing manager and you want to go with a new technology for, for you know, a company, or you're not going to do it because you know that it could be on its way out. So it's just not a, not a good business strategy. And I think what they're what they're doing is they're actually just trying to to make it so that when they cut that cord, it's not going to be as as rough of a process. But you're right. I guess I I didn't think about the fact that they're really not talking too much about push to talk anymore. I mean that was that was the key to you know the whole boost usage of the IDEN was being able to use that. So you're right. Yeah, they're gonna the new phones that they're coming out with, with the exception of those ones that have pushed to talk, they're probably all running on CDMA. So that's a good point. Sprint on Wednesday announcing the mobile wallet, a way to purchase applications, music, or other content on your mobile device using a variety of methods. The service will allow for payments through Visa, MasterCard, or Amazon accounts with the use of a universal PIN. During the purchase, customers can select Sprint mobile wallet at checkout, enter their PIN, and choose their payment method on 
or account from those saved in their Sprint mobile wallet. PhoneScoop on Thursday reported that high-end devices such as the Epic 4G and the Galaxy Tab would soon be getting the Sprint ID service. Originally announced at CTIA this fall as a way for people to get content and applications they want on their mid-range Android phones, Sprint is now saying that the service will be rolled out across the other Android phones in its portfolio. No word on timing or how the update will be implemented. In an interview with GigaOM, Sprint CEO uh, Dan Hesse again said our 4G strategy is WiMAX full stop. We have so much spectrum that Clearwire has decided to do tests in case we want to have a multi-module phone or multi-modal phone, modal phone uh, with other air interfaces. We can add LTE on top of WiMAX and run both networks. An interesting comment, uh, and again, Sprint is the current 54% owner of Clearwire, so obviously they're going to stick up for some of the testing that Clearwire is doing. Blue Genius Report reporting Thursday uh, that a new tethering and Wi-Fi sharing add-on would be coming to T-Mobile starting on the 3rd of November. The $15 per month option will allow customers to use their smartphones as a tethered modem or personal Wi-Fi hotspot. Requirements include a 3G-capable device, $20 unlimited internet plan, and uh, and the tethering add-on. Uh, interesting that this finally came out. We had seen you know rumblings of it, though I don't know what devices this is going to come out to, uh, although we, we are specifically seeing stuff happening for the Android devices, but for the $15 a month, it'll give you the ability to use it, uh, but you also have to have that $20 unlimited internet plan. This is a departure from T-Mobile, who has always in the past just kind of allowed anyone to tether you know, with uh, whatever they wanted to do. Now they're going to be actually charging for it, just like the big guys do. Well, and yeah, that's usually what happens. I mean, you've got a good service or you've got an additional thing that everybody else charges for, and that's going to happen because it is a, it's, it, I mean, it really is a handy feature to have. I love tethering. I know you do too. That's one of the yep. things that you want to get running on the on the style right away. Exactly. It's it's not something you use all the time, but when you do want it or need it, it's just, it's indispensable. Uh, it really is. Absolutely. So like I said, beginning November 3rd is when this will be coming to T-Mobile. Well, looking for a way to support the cell phone junkie? You can join us on TCPJ Unlocked. It's our bi-monthly premium podcast. Only $5 a month or $45 a year. You can hear in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link for TCPJ Unlocked. Of course, a big thank you to everyone that subscribes. And on the Unlocked show number 65 this week, we talked Windows Phone 7 and do they stand a chance in today's rapidly evolving smartphone market. Plus, we want to know, is Android becoming a commodity? Both of those topics, plus more on this week's episode of Unlocked. Fortune Friday became the latest major media outlet to confirm that a Verizon iPhone would be coming in early 2011. In a rather lengthy profile of Verizon CEO Even Seidenberg, the piece discusses the information from their sources, making mention that the device may not be a world phone. Quote, the next step, the iPhone, remains shrouded in secrecy, and neither company will discuss it. But people familiar with its development say that it is a uh, fault accompli. Verizon sources say uh, it will sell its own version of the the iPhone 4, which will work on Verizon's CDMA-based 3G network. Unfortunately for Globetrotters, the first version of the phone will likely not be able to work outside of the U.S. It will not carry a special chip that can turn it into a world phone. The article also looks at the original Verizon rejection of Apple back in 2005. It wasn't until late 2007 that Apple wanted to talk again with Verizon, and the discussions have taken until 
until now to solidify the business relationship that has culminated with this week's launch of the iPad in Verizon stores. Now, this is, we've now seen Bloomberg, uh, the Wall Street Journal, I believe the New York Times, and now Fortune all essentially confirming that we're going to see a Verizon iPhone in, in early 2011. Uh, this is the first, though, that we've seen them say that it most likely will not be a world phone. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I don't know. It's very strange. I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that they, they won't have that capability. And that I, I've, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than that, because it's it, it, it's a it's a high end phone that's going to be that, you know, that they wanted to get in, in as many hands as possible. And of course, a lot of uh, business travelers travel internationally and you want that support. And I, I would say that for the majority of people that are going to be choosing to use the Verizon version of it, um, they're going to be doing so because they want Verizon, not because they want world capabilities. Now, there are a lot of people that travel internationally that, of course, want their phone to work internationally. But I think the trade-off is there where someone would be willing to either rent a phone to use while they're you know, traveling internationally or, or you know, maybe they've got their, their old Verizon iPhone or uh, AT&T iPhone that they could take and use while they travel, you know, something like that. But it could be another thing where it's, uh, it's one of these features that they're going to upsell in a future model as well, that it's, it's a planned thing where they're going to you know, maybe add that support. And this is just the initial, hey, we've got a chipset. It runs on Verizon. Everything else is the same. We're just putting this into the phone. We're going to ship it. And this is what you get. Yeah, yeah. a multi-mode phone could easily be made to work on both CDMA and GSM come future models. Or they just may say, hey, we're not going to even bother with that. We're going to eventually do LTE anyway. So for now, just throw a CDMA radio in there and we'll move forward with this. And, and people who want it can have it. And those that don't, whatever, we still have AT&T as our partners. So yeah, I, um, I, I th- but that was one of the biggest pieces out of this article that I really found interesting is that it, it most likely will not have those, uh, those world capabilities. Also want to report this week on Apple. GigaOM says that they are working, Apple that is, with a SIM card maker known as Gemalto to create a built-in universal SIM for the European market. According to GigaOM, it's a it's rumored that Apple and uh, Gemalto have created a SIM that will be integrated into the iPhone itself. Customers will be able to choose their carrier at the time of purchase from an Apple website or retail store or buy the phone and get their handset up and running through a download of the App Store as opposed to visiting a carrier store or calling the carrier. The Gemalto SIM is embedded in a chip that is an upgradable flash component in and in the ROM area. The ROM area contains data provided by Gemalto with everything related to IT and network security, except for the carrier-related information. The flash component will receive the carrier-related data via a local connection that could be either a PC or a dedicated device so that it could be activated on the network. Gemalto will provide the back-end infrastructure that allows service and number provisioning on the carrier network. The change could simplify how Apple distributes the iPhone in countries with multiple carriers. HP and Palm earlier this month announced that the Palm Pre 2 would be coming to both Verizon and Canada later this year. Mobile Syrup posted photos on Wednesday of the device with collateral showing Rogers that will be the original launch partner for our neighbors in the north. No word yet, though, on pricing or availability. 
Boy Genius Report Friday reported Bell Mobility in Canada would be selling the Windows Phone 7 uh, LG Optimus Quantum. The Quantum has a full QWERTY keyboard, 3.5-inch capacitive touch display, Wi-Fi B&G, Bluetooth 2.1, GPS, 5-megapixel camera with flash, 720p video recording, DLNA support, 1500 milliamp hour battery, and 16 gigs of internal storage. The price listed at $450 without subsidies or a reasonable $100 with a three-year contract. This will be the first Windows Phone 7 device in Canada. Though we've seen rumblings of the device for a while and even reports from T-Mobile and Bell Mobility that the device was coming, RIM officially announced the BlackBerry Bold 9780 on Wednesday. The 9780 will have similar specs to the Bold 9700 with a few notable upgrades. The camera has been increased to 5 megapixel and memory has been upped to 4 gigs of internal support with 32 gig micro SD card support as well. RAM has been upgraded to 512 megs and the the phone now comes standard with the new BlackBerry 6 operating system. The 2.44 inch screen with 360 by 480 resolution, 624 megahertz processor and HSDPA all remain the same. It will be available from various carriers around the world beginning in November. Timo News has news this week that the BlackBerry 9780 will be launching on T-Mobile's network starting November 17th. The device has yet to be announced by the carrier, but we've seen reports that Bell Mobility in Canada would be getting the phone in the near future. And like I said, that device comes with the 5 megapixel camera, 512 megs of RAM, and this particular model will have the support for the 1700 megahertz network to run on T-Mobile. Launched on Verizon earlier this month, the BlackBerry Curve 3G will be making its way to Wind Mobile in Canada. The 9300 looks like uh, it may be available through in multiple colors, though no word on pricing or availability have been yet set. Engadget received photos early in the week of a feature Verizon LG device that is said to run Android on Verizon's upcoming LTE network. The monoslab form factor and thin design make this one of the slimmest Android devices that we've ever seen. It also appears to have an HD video camera, though no official specs are available, and LG and Verizon have not made any announcements of it or when it could be coming to the network. Droid Life on Sunday posted a photo of a Verizon test site with the Droid Pro listed for $300 and a two-year contract. The site does not reference any instant or mail-in rebates yet, which usually bring the price down of higher-end smartphones to the $200 or $250 price point. Sprint announcing Monday that it would begin selling its branded version of the Samsung Galaxy Tab starting on November 14th. The Tab will be offered for $400 with a two-year contract and a $30 or $60 per month plan. The plans offer 2 and 5 gigs of data respectively and include unlimited picture and text messaging. Sprint navigation will be available for an additional $3 a day or $10 a month, and the device will be on sale for $600 with no contract, the same price announced last week from Verizon. T-Mobile on Wednesday announced that they would be selling the Galaxy Tab as well. The device will go on sale on November 10th, four days earlier, then Sprint for $400 with a qualifying contract as well. And what seems like an us-too move, U.S. Cellular joining Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint in offering the Galaxy Tab. Through the press release, uh, very lacking in detail, no date, no pricing, just that they would eventually be selling the Galaxy Tab.
A Samsung press release Monday invited select media members to a new Android device unveiling on Monday, November 8th. No details were provided, but this will likely be the official announcement for the Samsung Continuum coming to the Verizon network. T-Mobile on Monday said that the LG Optimus T Android device would be coming starting on November 3rd for $30. Running Android 2.2, the T also includes a Wi-Fi hotspot application and a 3.2-inch screen with a 3-megapixel camera. The device will be available for the $30 uh, with contract and $50 mail-in rebate. Engadget received photos on Tuesday of a new phone that looks to be aimed squarely at gamers. The Sony Ericsson PlayStation phone is similar to the Xperia line, except that a sliding gamepad is revealed where most devices have a landscape-orientated keyboard. The phone will supposedly be running one of the yet-unreleased Android 3.0 gingerbread uh, operating system variants, or they could be 2.3, depending on how you want to look at what the operating system is going to be. It'll also have a 1 gigahertz Snapdragon MSM 8655 processor that's similar to the processors that we're seeing in the new devices, such as the HTC G2. Also, 512 megs of RAM, 1 gig of ROM, and a side uh, screen size of 3.7 to 4.1 inches. A 2011 release is likely, but not confirmed. HTC announced on Thursday the HTC Wildfire coming on multiple regional carriers to the U.S. by the end of the year. Specs include a 512 MHz processor, 384 megs of RAM, 512 of ROM, 5-megapixel camera, 3.2-inch screen, though no word on pricing as it will be specific to the carriers. Verizon announcing on Wednesday the LG Octane messaging device to its lineup. The Octane has a traditional 12-key keypad on the front that slides to reveal landscape QWERTY underneath. The device features a 3.2-megapixel camera with flash, 16 gigs of micro SD card support, and Bluetooth. Software includes Skype mobile, visual voicemail, and an HTML browser. The Octane will be $100 on contract on sale now. Verizon announcing Wednesday the Pantex Crux messaging phone. It features a 3-inch touchscreen, media control keys, Bluetooth, and microSD support for up to 32 gig cards. Software on the device includes instant messaging, email, Skype, and social networking capabilities. The Crux will be $50 on contract. Moving into some software news, if you're someone that has a lot of non-Apple video content but uses an iPhone, you well all you know all too well about the conversion process. Every time you want to take content with you, you have to use something like iSquint to convert the media to an iOS-friendly format. The folks at Applidium have, are about to change your workflow forever. With its free iPhone or iPod Touch application, you can now take every video file with you thanks to an open-source multimedia player. Once installed, choose the applic- applications, uh, choose applications and files from the device or that you want to put on the device from your connected computer and start the sync process. Take it from someone who's been dealing with this limitation for the iOS in the past three years. It's a pretty big deal. It's a huge deal and make sure you get it really, really quick because it'll probably be gone fast because this third-party application or a third-party developer put it on the App Store without getting uh, permission from uh, Videoland who actually writes it, which is open source, which of course is, it goes against the, the licensing restrictions of the DRM-based Apple App Store. So this will be gone very quickly. Like I said, if you're someone who's got AVI files or what else would you have, Joey? XVID maybe type files? Yes, absolutely. Yep. D- DivX, XVIDs. Um, that, that's mostly what the you know media is out there. Uh, I'm not sure what the support would be for some of the uh, the H264 um, 
if it has that support or not. I mean, it may. So uh, it, it's it, it'll it, uh, VLC plays everything when you yes. have a, a, whatever it is of your computer, and you really don't need to install uh, external codecs. It's just all part of the package. So it's a, I, I use it on, on all my computers. This totally changed how I use this phone. I mean, I will go as far as you know taking devices like the Evo and using it to watch video versus something like the iPhone just because I don't want to have to do the conversion process. So you, if you're someone who's got a lot of videos that are not Apple formatted, this is a great way to be able to watch them on the go. And it's so easy to use. Like I said, if you're listening to this and you buy a computer and you use iTunes and an iOS device, go download it now. Get it before it goes away because it's going to be very useful. And I don't know if we're going to ever see something come out from uh, Videoland themselves. Via its Twitter account on Monday, the Android development team announced that the Android market had passed 100,000 applications. The announcement read, 100,000 apps in Android market. A tad unemotional, but what do you expect from a group of development guys and gals? A new bug in the iOS was discovered on Monday, allowing easy access to a passcode-protected phone. The security flaw allows access to the phone and photos to initiate access. When the passcode entry screen comes up, tap Emergency Call, then enter the phone number and tap Call, and click the phone's sleep switch immediately after, uh, nearly simultaneously. If you've done it properly, you should now have full access to the iPhone's phone app, including contacts, keypad, and calling history. If you choose Share Contact, the camera icon will give you access to the Photos app. Reports are stating that replicating the issue in beta versions of iOS 4.2 is not happening, so it seems that Apple may have already been able to uh, patch that hole with the latest version. It was actually kind of scary because I was able to try it out myself, and it worked uh, very, very simply. So just keep that in mind if you're someone who uses a passcode. It is not totally foolproof. A beta version of the Windows Phone 7 connector for Mac was released on Monday. The connector allows Windows Phone 7 devices to sync content with Apple-based computers. Available now from the Windows Download Center, the application requires macOS 10.5 Leopard or higher and provides the following functionality. Windows Phone 7 connector lets you synchronize your favorite music, videos, photos, and podcasts from iTunes and iPhoto to your Windows Phone 7 so you can take your media with you wherever you go. If you're someone who's been entrenched in the Palm ecosystem for years, then there's a good chance you're still using many of the legacy applications, such as uh, through Motion App's Classic Emulator. Moving forward, Palm has elected to remove the Classic ROM from WebOS 2. Motion App's explains... We're sad to announce that Palm has removed Classic's ROM from the new WebOS 2.0 device ROM, which will result in Classic not working if utilized with Palm's new WebOS 2.0 software. This is contrary to our agreement with Palm and was done without our approval or consent. Based on this, Motion Amps will immediately stop selling Classic. However, as a courtesy to our clients, we'll continue to support existing Classic customers on WebOS 1.x software for the immediate future. That's pretty sad, though, if you're someone who is using uh, lots of apps. Yeah, that's ridiculous because how much uh, does this ROM take up in memory? Um, I, I believe that the Palm OS ROM is like two megabytes. Mm. Uh, that, that's that's really, really, really poor. And I, if this is uh, something you want, uh, make sure you contact HP now or Palm and uh, get them to change their mind because this is that, that's crazy. I think I may have something to do with Palm, uh, or excuse me, HP, honestly, just because of the acquisition now of Palm. They're, uh, they, I don't know. Again, I, I don't know. Who knows what it, yeah, the... It, could be, it really could be licensing issues. I mean, that really could be what it is instead of just deciding to not include it due to space reasons or, or technical reasons. It, it really could be licensing issues, I, I suppose. And that would make more sense because it would be so trivial to have it in there. Yeah. Oh, poor Palm. <laughs> it's just... Ugh. 
Just just a, just a downhill slide for them. Anyway, hopefully you found replacements if you're using applications uh, from legacy devices that you can uh, that you can take advantage of and, and be okay moving forward. Apple on Tuesday updating its official App Store application, bringing to it location-based services such as customer check-ins and product reservations at the nearest locations. You can now use the app to check in upon arrival at a physical Apple Store for your appointment. Other features include adding engraving and gift wrapping to select purchases from the Apple Online Store, reserving products for pickup at an Apple retail store, checking in for Apple retail store appointments, and call up quick help within stores. Also, you can add Apple retail store appointments directly to iCal, view your upcoming Apple retail store activity on a map, and it will recognize when you arrive at an Apple store and offer you the personalized set of services uh, that is if you're using iOS 4. iOS 4 is required, like I said, for those new uh, uh, features. Now, some folks also noticed that when they browsed through products in the new uh, application, the white version of the iPhone 4 would appear. Though late on Tuesday, Apple clarified its position on the white model. In a statement to Reuters, they said, we're sorry to disappoint customers waiting for the white iPhone yet again, but we've decided to delay its release until until spring. Uh, on Wednesday, Cult of Mac has reported that the reason may not be manufacturing at all. Instead, the iPhone's uh, white case and rear-facing camera may be interacting with each other, causing washed-out photos. The problem was supposedly identified very late in the game at Apple's testing center, which qualifies cases uh, for use with the phone. Finally, on Thursday, Apple pulled all mentions of the white version of the iPhone from the website. This started another flurry of speculation that the white model was in fact being canceled completely. My bet on this, we'll see the launch of the white version coinciding with the launch of a CDMA model. Either that or we're going to see the phone uh, come out uh, when we have the release version of whatever we're going to call it, iPhone 5, next summer. Germany-based Navigon has had European maps for Android devices over the past year and announced on Wednesday that U.S. maps were coming this week. The version features a reality scanner that shows street, street view photos in an augmented reality presentation. Other features include a database and speed of speed and red light cameras and customized my routes for options to get your location based uh, on your driving habits. The application is available now in the Android market for $40 on a two-week special. Starting November 10th, the price goes up to $60. Engadget started receiving reports on Tuesday of the 2.3.20 software update for the Motorola Droid 2 on Verizon. The over-the-air update brings with it enhancements for better battery life, faster transitions from Wi-Fi to 3G, and faster GPS location acquisition. More information at the Verizon Wireless Support site. Google on Thursday posted that to its blog that Google Maps 4.6 was available. The application brings updates to filter search results and browsing of reviews in places. Google announced on Thursday the Gmail web app had been updated to function, out, function more like a native application. Two items were improved. First, scrolling is snappier. The speed of scrolling reflects the speed of your swipe gesture. This is helpful for long conversations where a few quick flicks could get the information you need faster than before. Secondly, the toolbars stay on the screen while you're scrolling rather than moving down into view after each scroll. Being able to access your toolbars from any point on the page should make it easier to triage your email and move around the app. Visit gmail.com on your iOS device to experience the changes. Through its blog on Friday, Sony Ericsson said that an update for its Android-based Xperia devices would be coming today, September, excuse me, October 31st. The update will bring with it uh, updates for the Xperia X10, X10 Mini, and X10 Mini Pro to get the devices up to Android 2.1. Good news there for those using those devices. 
TechCrunch reporting late in the week that Facebook will be holding a mobile event on Wednesday, uh, November 3rd at 10 a.m. Details are sparse at this time, but rumors include everything from a full-blown device, which is unlikely, by the way, to an iPad app. OnStar has been installed on GM vehicles for over the past decade, providing an integrated connection for drivers to their cars. Starting with all 2011 Chevrolet models, owners can connect their smartphones via the MyLink application for Android and the iOS. The application enables access to location-based services, vehicle demographic information, and OnStar connectivity. The location-based services includes a parking reminder, also a timer, and photo tagging features. The connectivity uh, portion shows diagnostic information such as the fuel level and range of the vehicle, as well as oil life and even assisting in locking and unlocking doors. The download is free for both the iOS and Android. Let's jump into some questions and comments. First one, a question from Nicholas. He says, Mickey and Joey, first of all, a big thank you for the very informative podcast with all the information uh, and important news stories you provide each week. I like it so much that I also subscribe to the Unlock Show and I encourage everybody else to do so too. Well, thank you, Nicholas, for number one, listening to us and supporting us with your subscription to Unlock. That's fantastic. We appreciate it. Then he says, normally I try to get all my answers to my cell phone questions via Google searches, but this one, I need uh, your help and experience with RIM products. A close relative is probably getting her first BlackBerry, a bold 9700. Very soon after, I tried to persuade her for weeks. The thing is, she wants to use it without a two-year contract, so without unlimited internet, let alone the BlackBerry option, just regular pay-as-you-go. The idea, is that a good idea? The forum posts uh, that I found all pretty much said that a BlackBerry is almost useless without this BlackBerry add-on. You can make phone calls, send text messages, and surf the internet very sluggishly and without any server optimization, but that's pretty much it. Push email and BBM aren't very important to her, but I've read that you can't even use AppWorld without having this option. So uh, to sum up the question, can an average person, no cell phone junkie or email addict, who just wants to do talking, texting, and some occasional web surfing over Wi-Fi and 3G, uh, maybe try out some apps, use a BlackBerry without having an an internet plan or the BB add-on. Thank you very much for your honest opinion and keep up the good work, Nicholas. All right, Nicholas. Well, let me tell you, I do have experience with this. About two and a half years ago, my wife was using a a BlackBerry Pearl, and uh, she really liked the device. She liked the small form factor and liked having a keyboard, but at the time didn't really care about a full QWERTY. So it was fine with uh, just the the twelve key or twenty key or whatever it is on the, on the thing. So uh, so we we did that. We went to AT and T. We bought the phone, but we did not get a BlackBerry plan. And what what she could do was kind of like what you're saying: make phone calls and send text messages. But the bra- well, there's no Wi-Fi in it, so the browser did not function at all because there was uh, the, the the actual data side of it was blocked. Now. Um, the way that I understand it is you're right. You can use the device to browse to certain places, though it, it seems uh, kind of hit and miss, I think. You know, you, I, I have a, a family member as well who had a T-Mobile device last year that was using uh, the Black, BlackBerry T-Mobile device that was using it without a plan, and it was, it was something where they could get to certain sites, like they could get to the T-Zone site, and they could also get, I think, to Gmail, but I don't think general browsing... Uh, worked very very well. Um, not to mention, it's you know you're going to be using uh, kilobytes of data every time that you access a page, and so you're going to have to pay for those. Um, App World, I don't think it's going to work. I'm pretty sure that's all going to go through the site. BlackBerry Messenger is not going to work. It's um, 
it's it's just not a great experience if you're not connected in. Um, it's it's very integrated. Obviously, when when you go and sign up for it, it signs you up for uh, a BlackBerry account, a specific account. So you, um, it's not something where you can take a SIM card from a phone that has uh, no BlackBerry provisioning on it and pop it into a BlackBerry and expect everything to work. It doesn't work that way. Uh, the PIN is actually. Um, um, registered with the network and so uh it's it uses the cellular connection and the fact that you have a plan but let me let me throw something out at you at&t of course now has the 15 dollars a month plans that will give you 200 megs of, of uh, data so this is plenty for the blackberry user um i, I can i can see where someone would be kind of hesitant to, to spend an extra 15 dollars a month but they they set that extra plan in place for people that are like um you know are, are like this person here this relative of yours that may want to be using a device like a blackberry but doesn't want to pay 30 bucks a month it's the blackberry messenger functionality plus being able to download applications and stuff like that it's i just i would highly recommend against it now unless all you're really looking to do is phone calls and text messages because that's about the extent of what you're going to be able to do yeah, I have to fully agree, unfortunately, because I, I, I know I don't like tie, being tied to extra, you know, charges. Um, if the, the new plan does include uh, BlackBerry service, then that, that's probably the better way to go. Yeah, it's it's not, like I said, it's not a good experience. And I, I don't know, maybe you can, maybe you can get a, um, you know, get a device, it un, maybe you're buying it unlocked, at least that's what it sounds like you're trying to do here. Get it at 9700 Get a SIM card, pop it in, start using it, and just let her use it for a couple of days and just go from there. Yeah, I know the same thing uh, Virgin Mobile uh, that Sprint has the, for prepaid. They also have a BlackBerry uh, curve that you can uh, elect not to add. The uh, I believe it's uh, it's $10 a month extra to get the, the BlackBerry service added to it, but you don't have to. And, and it even says that right on their home screen that you're limited to what, what it can do. Yeah, and, and it's... It's it, it's kind of like getting, I'll just, I mean, it's, this is a bad analogy, but I always like to tie it back to cars. It's like getting a, a high-performance vehicle and then not leaving first gear with it. Yeah, it'll get you to where you need to go, but it's probably not going to be as effective as what you want it to be. So I would I would advise against it, but you can do it if that's what you're, you know, what you're interested in. And maybe once she gets used to the phone, then it, there's going to be a level of comfort with it and, and say, oh, yeah, I really wish I could get my email pushed out to me. I really wish I could, you know, do BlackBerry Messenger, use applications and stuff like that and uh, make that decision to make the switch. I'm guessing you're going to go with the uh, with AT&T, but I guess you could be going with T-Mobile. Uh, in fact, I don't even know where you are. <laughs> so you could be going with any carrier for that matter. But again, you can always try it out, pop a SIM in it, and just see how it goes without any of the BlackBerry services. You'll decide probably fairly quickly on what's the best way to go. Next one is a comment from Bruce. He says, Joey, I just listened to episode number 230, and you were saying that the Palm Trio, so are you saying that the Palm Trio 270 isn't a smartphone, and there's the Black, or the Trio 180 before that? Good stuff, Bruce. What's going on, Joey? Hey, you know, I, I wasn't aware of those devices. I, 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 now, I vaguely remember those, but yes, those were smartphones. I would call those smartphones, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, there was a full QWERTY clamshell before. Um, it's just an old trio that has a clear window around those. I, I remember those uh, way back in the day. So, but we haven't seen a clamshell QWERTY in since that time, as far as I know. And again, this is the first clamshell QWERTY from RIM, which is you know kind of the, the the bigger picture with this one is that you've now finally got a BlackBerry that's got the QWERTY on it. So, well, yeah, that too. But yeah, no, I, I think I I don't even know what year the Trio two seventies from, but that must be from like 1998 or 97 mm-hmm. so it's been quite quite some time 
Yeah, well, the tri- when did, actually, what year did the trio come out? And I don't know if it was that old, was it? I, I thought it was in the early 2000s. It was when, the, the, uh, when they first I really came out. I don't know. I really don't know. It's been a long time. <laughs> I'll just tell you that. It's in been a, cell phone years, it has been. Yes, sure. exactly. In cell phone years, it's been an eternity. It was like the beginning of smartphones back then. So, yes, good call by Bruce calling out Joey on the fact that there were smartphones out there before that had full QWERTY keyboards before the style. Next one is a voicemail from Greg. Hi, guys. My name is Greg, and I had a question about various technologies and uh, finding the right phone for the technology in particular. Uh, there are a number of different technologies that are used for high-speed data. And I'm right now in the market for a new phone, but I'm wanting to buy an unlocked phone and avoid the uh, contracts that are out there. Uh, one of the phones that I was looking at was the Nokia N8, the new phone. Uh, the question I have is that I'm a longtime T-Mobile user, and uh, I was uh, on one of their original data plans that are very inexpensive uh, and unlimited. Well, unlimited to 5 gig. But uh, nonetheless, uh, what I'd like to do is purchase a phone that's going to last me for a while. And so I understand that the N8 uh, is at least one of the phones that I'm, I'm most interested in. My question is, when I talk to T-Mobile, they tell me that their newest network that they're rolling out is uh, still G3, but it is, uh, they call it G3.75, or, um, well, I can't think of the acronym now, but it's uh, four letters with a plus, HSPA plus, I believe. Uh, the Nokia N8 phone has a spec that talks about G3, and uh, they have an acronym that is H, um, I can't remember, but it's uh, not the four letters. It's five letters without the plus. But they say that it's Category 9. Um, I understand that Category 9 goes up to about 10 meg versus the HSPA plus can go up to 21 meg or something like that. My real question is, will the N8 work with T-Mobile's? Uh, fastest network, or am I going to have a technology mix match uh, like I do with my current phone, which is an Nokia N95 that does not do G3 on the T-Mobile network uh, because it only does 1900, not 1700 megahertz. Anyway, uh, I don't know if this makes sense to you, but uh, if you guys could help me out, I'd appreciate it. Keep up the great work, and uh, as usual, I'm listening. Thanks. All right, thanks very much, Greg, for your question. Uh, you're looking at a great device, number one, the Nokia N8. I had some hands-on time earlier in the month with that one, and it's, it's a, especially if you're a Symbian fan, it is a, a rock-solid device. It's got a phenomenal camera, uh, both picture-taking and video recording. It is, it is probably the best out there. Uh, it's, it's really amazing. Anyway, so to your question on using a device uh, with the T-Mobile service, it is a pentaband 3G device, meaning it's going to function on the 800, 900, 1700, 1800, or excuse me, 1700, 1900, and 2100 megahertz 3G bands. So you've got all these bands in it, but the main one that's important to you for T-Mobile is 1700 megahertz. It's got HSDPA and HSUPA category five and category nine on it, which means your 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 download speeds are up to 10 megabits. Your upload speeds are up to two megabits. The phone is going to work. Um, 
you're going to be able to take advantage of the high speeds that T-Mobile puts out there. Um, you know, you're just not going to be able to go over the cap of whatever the, you know, of that limit. So it's going to be a maximum of 10. Keep in mind that 10 megabit is uh, the, the ceiling. So most, more than likely, you're going to see somewhere between 5 and 7 theoretical maximum there. Uh, it, it's just the way that the technology is put in place. But it, it, it will work for you. I wouldn't have any concerns about it to recommend it to you. Um, you're going to be able to get high speeds with it there. Uh, but you're, you know, we're talking about speeds on their network right now. They're putting out this you know, 21 um, megabit per second HSPA plus network and eventually going to be upgrading that to what they say will be a 42 megabit per second network. That will give the general user at in a perfect scenario somewhere between 8 and 12 megabits per second. You will not see that based on the technology limitation. But think about it back to th- this is all based on the UMTS protocol. So if you if you look at a device like the Trio 750, this was a, a Windows mobile device that AT&T had back in, in late 2007. That device had the uh, the UMTS protocol in it, so it could function on 3G, uh, but it, it wasn't being able to take advantage of the highest 3G data speeds that that you saw with the the HSDPA speeds. So what I'm saying is that you're going to be able to use the phone. The phone is going to work. It's going to work very fast, but you will not be able to get data speeds up to the fastest protocols that T-Mobile has. Does that explain it well enough, do you think, Joey? I think so. I think so. It's just, uh, in, in fact, you know, most of the time, most users would never uh, know the difference. Yeah. And you're going to love the device. I'm telling you this. Will, I, I mean, I actually thought about buying one. I'm not a, I'm not a Symbian guy. I never have been. I love the E71, but I just couldn't, couldn't shoehorn it into my life, if you will. But if you are, boy, this is, uh, this is awesome. <laughs> Let's put it that way. The, the, the specs on it are keep it, you know, have it up to, the level that I think you're going to be happy with. And if, if you like taking pictures, man, it's a good one. And then we've got a question here from Dave. He says, Mickey, my wife has the Samsung moment. We just did an exchange by mail because the phone would go into airplane mode on its own. It would stop ringing when I or anyone called. It would not ring on my end, but not hers. Text would not come in until she rebooted and the screen lock would vanish on its own. Well, when the new one arrived in the mail overnight, it worked great, but now the lock vanishes from time to time and it's going into airplane mode now here and there again. Uh, have people reported problems with this model? She's at the end of her rope and ready to drop it from the account and go with prepaid service. Any help you can, an insight you can provide would be appreciated. Thanks, Dave. Well, Dave, unfortunately, this is a huge issue with the Samsung moment. People have been complaining about it for over a year since this phone first came out. The Android 2.1 update was supposed to, but it did not resolve the issue. Um, last week, Sprint released the patch allowing for 911 calls to be made after a modem crash related to airplane mode occurred, but it's it just has not been resolved. People, you're going to read all sorts of things. People are saying if you, you know, turn this on, turn this off, do a restore, do this, do that, you know, it, it doesn't seem like anything is is really fixing the issue. It's it's something within the way that the hardware um, is or the software is is working with the hardware. It seems because this has not been an issue for any of the other um, Android devices in that mid range category. So uh, or even anything else from Samsung. So just is specific to this phone. Really really annoying. And I I don't have a good fix for you. There's there's no real answer. So sorry about that. And finally, a question from Paul. He says, recently you talked about T-Mobile's Wi-Fi program. I am on Verizon and noticed that both Skype and Google Voice require cellular service. Any thoughts on Wi-Fi calling with a Verizon phone, in my case, a droid? Um, 
Well, unfortunately, the way that they've put this out so far, Verizon has this partnership with Skype, and so when you make calls, it's actually using the the circuit switch network to make phone calls through Skype. It's not using voice over IP. They do that because they want the reliability of the phone calls uh, and not uh, to be, have you find yourself in an area where you've got you know poor data service and, and the phone calls don't function properly on the Verizon network. Um, there's no... Uh, I'm trying to think of... I mean, I'm sure there's applications out there, but there's no mainstream app applications that will allow for voice over IP calling other than, I, I mean, you can use like Fring, um, you know, or you could use, see, Google Voice is, is, is kind of a, it's a voice over IP or it's an internet-based application, but it's not voice over IP. The, what it does is it, it routes the phone call to your phone number. It's not like it gives voice over IP access unless you're using, of course, the Google Talk uh, tied in, which then is on your computer, which, yeah, then is tied in through VoIP. Yeah, Google Voice uses VoIP as a back end, but for most phones, it just uses the regular cellular network. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know that I would say that there's, Verizon's not going to do it, but I don't see them doing it anytime in the near future. I think their their main focus right now is 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 going to be on, uh, you know, this partnership with Skype. And I think that's going to, at least for the next year or so, that's going to be what they focus on with the extraneous calling or other add-on services. Um, yeah, I mean, you could do some, you know, you could play around with some of the apps that are out there, but there's nothing that I'm going to recommend to you because I don't, I don't really believe in any of them at this point. So um, we'll see. You know, T-Mobile has their UMA access. They've got their Wi-Fi calling now. And, uh, you know, they're, that's, that's nice, but I don't know. You just just use the phone. <laughs> use the phone. maybe maybe you're looking for additional minutes. So you use Skype. You know you get the the Skype uh, application. You can get was it thirty bucks a, a year for unlimited calling over Skype. Probably uh, probably cheaper than what it would cost uh, for any sort of Wi-Fi add-on that they would have. So so that'll do it for this Halloween edition of the Cell Phone Junkie Show two thirty one. If you have any questions for us, you can get in touch with us at two zero six two zero three. 3734 or send us an email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or if you'd like to send a text message you can do so 775-773-TCPJ that's 8275 if you'd like to follow us on Facebook you can do so facebook.com slash the cell phone junkie or on Twitter at twitter.com slash cell phone junkie and read all of my musings at twitter.com slash pj underscore mickey and joey's at tcpj underscore joey joey thank you very much as always for your time we'll talk to you later thanks for listening for more information about the stories you've just heard visit us at the cell phone junkie.com <laughs>